0: All right, you may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of John. We'll be in John chapter 5 today. Y'all doing okay this morning? Man, this is a great looking group. And uh, not to leave anybody out, but we have a particularly beautiful looking group right back over here. I want to say welcome to those of you that have come to celebrate with us in the baptism of Amanda Morris. And so, Amanda, just raise your hand. Are you in here? Okay. All right. All right. Cool. I thought you might be already getting your bathing suit on or something, but, uh, but we're going to baptize. And the way we do baptisms at near town churches is, uh, right after our gathering for worship, we continue the gathering outside, do a baptism, and then there's food for those that want to stay. So we just spend some time fellowshipping and celebrating. We like to linger in the beauty of that moment, the celebration of baptism. So, uh, pretty cool. Um, Everybody uh, take advantage of the extra hour we got this morning. Raise your hand if you slept in a little bit. Yeah, good for you. I used my extra hour to um, to to steal a bike from um, someone uh, who had stolen it from somebody I gave it to. I'll tell you the rest of that story in just a minute. Uh, it's, and I'm thinking as this is happening, I'm like, I have to preach in an hour. And so I'm going to need to confess right at the beginning that I'm stealing. And so there you go. Let God be the judge. Okay, here we go. So John chapter 5 is where we are this morning. And um, man, I am excited about continuing in this series on love. Look to your neighbor and say love. You, You could even, if you know them, say I love you. And if you don't know them, say I like you. This is a series on love where we're just looking at what the Bible says about love. Two weeks ago, uh, I talked to you about how God loves us. And we, we, re- we read in Ephesians chapter two, this passage, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So we talked about the beginning of our understanding of love is to realize that God loves us deeply. God pursues us to pour out into our heart his love. And last week, I talked to you a bit about learning to love your own story. And it requires that we acknowledge dark places and blessings in our story, so that we can understand how our lives fit into this narrative, this love narrative, where God is doing something in the world and he invites us to be a part of it. Now, we're going to continue in this series. If you missed either one of those talks, then I would encourage you to check them out online, podcast.neartownchurch.org. That's always up there if you miss a Sunday or you miss a talk or you want to re-listen to it. Uh, or if you want to um, comment and insult me, you can... I don't think we have comments turned on. Good. All right. That's good. All right. So, so we're going to continue in our series on love. And today, the topic of love has us thinking carefully about loving poor people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And the reason that we begin when we are talking about the kinds of people that we love, the reason that we're going to begin talking about poor people is because the Bible has many, many, many verses that reveal God has a special place in his heart for poor people, for people that are marginalized, for people that have suffered from injustice, people that have Suffered and are struggling in this life. And so we're going to start right there, and frankly, it's going to be a difficult thing to think about for some of you. Now, before you immediately think, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have any money, I want you to know that every person in this room, compared to what's happening in the world economy, is very wealthy. Everybody. Everybody can respond to a message about how to love impoverished people, people that are struggling. You must believe that. There is a special place in God's heart for poor people. In fact, in the Old Testament, when God rebuked or got onto the Israelites, many times it was because they neglected the poor. They ignored the poor. Psalm chapter 140, verse 12 says, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Not only do we hear it from the songwriters of the Old Testament or the the prophets of the Old Testament, but we also see that God has a heart for the poor. When we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is God with flesh on. And in your Bible, in John chapter five, there's a story that is much like many other stories that are found in the gospels, where Jesus is is going to do something to a person that is impoverished, in an impoverished state. So if you have your Bible, look at John chapter five, verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five root colonnades. In these lay a multitude, a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So this is interesting. This is a city center, very highly trafficked area of Jerusalem. Um, and, uh, and for whatever reason, there is this pool of water. And from time to time... The angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one to get to the pool after this disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had. Now, we're ins- unsure of exactly why this happened, and we could speculate, and it would be maybe fun. But what we will do for this moment is just say that there was something that these waters could provide that these people could not provide for themselves. So in verse five, we read that one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, scholars believe that uh, it's quite possible that he didn't actually stay down there, but maybe somebody brought him down there from time to time when the word got out that the water was being stirred. But nonetheless, he has been there for a long time or around that place for a long time in need of some kind of help. No doubt he is poor. He's physically unable to work, physically unable to move himself to the water by himself. He is physically uh, struggling and he has needs. And in this society, just like ours, people that cannot provide for themselves for whatever reason are poor or impoverished. Now, something happens. Jesus comes along and Jesus is a very busy person. Jesus is a very busy person, and at this point in his ministry, he's busy because there's a big crowd around him, and also he's busy because people are beginning to uh, resist him and, um, and try to stop him. The religious leaders don't like what he's doing. In fact, they don't like what he's about to do because it's on the Sabbath. So he's busy, he's got lots of people, and I imagine he has a lot on his mind. He's thinking about all that he needs to do to prepare himself and prepare the world from the time, for the time that he's going to die on the cross just a few short years later. So verse six says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, duh. Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, somebody cuts in front of me. Jesus asks a question. Do you want help? It's as if Jesus is trying to find out if this man has a desire to get into a place different than where he currently is. Does he want to be... Helped out of this impoverished state. And something that we should know, the Bible teaches that there'll always be the poor among us. And for some of the poor that are among us, these people don't really want to be helped. Just a couple of weeks ago, I found myself in a situation where in my car is a, a person, a couple of people, one of them was a woman who told me that she and her husband have lived in a tent in a wooded area by Hobby Airport for four years. And what became obvious to me is that she didn't really want help. They had gotten used to this lifestyle. They would gotten used to begging for money and using it to provide a very little amount of food for them to eat and then also to purchase drugs. They didn't want help. And so you know what? Other than helping her get a new pair of shoes on her feet because they were falling off and it was pitiful, I have no inclination to try to help There are people that are poor among us that don't want to be helped, but this man wanted some help. And so Jesus says, I'm going to help you. Verse eight, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now here's the deal in this story. I'm going to make sure y'all are awake. The funny thing about getting an extra hour of sleep is that we're all still kind of tired because of it. I'm going to read verse eight and I want a collective like, because <gasps> Jesus has just done something incredible here. Okay. I get it. I mean, most of you are like, okay, let's get, you know, make sure the sermon's good. The Texans are on today, but I'm going to read verse eight and at least fake it. Okay. Fake your excitement that Jesus is helping this person who cannot help himself. Okay. Here we go. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. Yeah. <laughs> and at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Skip on down to verse 13. Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was because Jesus said, withdrawn. There was a crowd in the place and Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. In other words, I helped you. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, there's speculation as to whether or not this man was in an impoverished state because of his own choice, some kind of sin that he made, that there were consequences to him physically, or was it the fact that he just has grown up in a broken world where there are some people that suffer from the injustice uh, caused by others? We don't exactly know, but we do know that Jesus is getting into a spiritual conversation with him. And when Jesus says get up, it is in the original language, it's, it's, it's the words that give us a sense of power. Power, much like the kind of power that God uses to create all things. Or much like the kind of power that will be used when Jesus returns to judge and restore finally all things. So when Jesus says, get up, something is happening here that's more than just him meeting an, an immediate physical need. So with all this, three things That are happening that can help us when we think about loving the poor. First of all, Jesus noticed. He noticed. And he allowed himself to be inconvenienced by this man's need. I don't know about you, but I feel really busy. I feel really busy. I feel like I've always got things going on. I feel like I'm always forgetting to do things or neglecting to do things because there's too many things to do in a day. I'm busy. So just to take notice of the opportunities around me to love the poor can sometimes be difficult. Do you feel like that? Jesus takes notice that there is someone who has a need. And not only does he have an immediate physical need, but he also has a spiritual need. So Jesus, Jesus notices. Second thing, Jesus Meets his immediate need. He had a need for healing. If he couldn't walk, he couldn't work, if he can't work, you can't eat. He had a, a need that was immediate that Jesus met. But not only that, but Jesus met his spiritual need. There's something going on in this man that is far deeper and more important to think about than just the fact that he's an invalid. He is in an impoverished spiritual state. Now, here's the thing. You and I might not share his physical condition, but at some point, every one of us share his spiritual condition. All people, apart from Christ, are in poverty spiritually. All of us are indebted to God and are broken and in need, apart from Christ, in our spiritual beings. Jesus meets this guy's immediate need, but he also begins to deal with his spiritual need. It's interesting because I had decided to preach this series, God Impressed My Heart, to do it probably a month, five weeks ago, something like that. And I knew one of the things that we would talk about is, is how we as a community of faith, and which includes the individuals in here, was going to go about loving the poor of our city. And something has been happening to me for the last three weeks that I found myself in this situation where I'm getting to live real time exactly what I'm preaching to you. And I want you to know that it's been exhausting and tiring and stressful and costly. But I'm going to tell you the story of what's been happening because you are a part of it. So, about three weeks ago, I needed some help in fixing a house that I'm trying to sell on the south side of Houston. And so I went to Home Depot. And I found uh, the only person that, that speaks English. And, and this is how I found them. I just hollered out the window, who speaks English? And this one guy says, I do, I'm from Kentucky. And I was like, close enough, all right. Um, and, uh, and so he gets in my truck, he comes to my house and I begin to um, use this guy to do some work around my house. Great worker. And uh, for three days, he, he worked hard. And over the course of working together a little bit and also hearing some of his story, what I realized is that he was in a completely impoverished state. He had nothing. And so I began to pray and think about how I could get out of this, honestly. Because my thinking was, I am so busy. I have sermons to write. I have a ministry to plan for, a budget to look over, all this. And then all of a sudden God said, no, Russell, this is the, the present ministry I have you in. It's been so interesting because I've gone from a heart where resisted this to a heart that said, okay, I'm all in for this. And I uh, realized that his most immediate need was to get his birth certificate. So I took him to Whataburger and we sat down and I got online, he gave me all his information and I typed it in, order his birth certificate. Once we got his birth certificate, I realized in the process of that, that he can't see. I mean, he's literally blinded like his, I mean not blinded, but his eyesight is so bad, he can't see. So I called a friend who is an eye doctor and I said, would you be willing to see this friend of mine? He has no insurance, all that kind of stuff. We go to the eye doctor and it was so interesting because for me, I have learned a lot about the plight of the homeless because we get in there, he gets to the doctor and the nurse is pressing him on, well, what's your address? And he says, I have no address. She said, well, you have to have an address for me to put you in the computer. And so I walk up there and I give her my address. So we go back and see the doctor, and sure enough, he is like blinded. No wonder. I mean, he probably wouldn't recognize me after he got glasses. I mean, his eyesight has been that bad. So we go, and we get him some glasses. And all the while, I have gotten to experience a bit about how he feels as he walks into these stores. I've gotten to see how people look at him as they see us walking in, both dirty and disheveled from, from working on a home. Although, I don't always look like that. So my heart began to be very tender for him. All the while, I've, as a human being and as a pastor of a church, have seen this kind of person many times before. We have, as a community of faith, helped many of these kinds of people. So something that I did all along, it was I assumed he was lying. I assumed it. And something that occurred to me was This. If in the Bible it is true that God has a special place in his heart for the poor, I imagine that includes people who are poor because of their own bad choices. And something that I faced personally was this question. Am I going to continue to help him even if his impoverished state is a result of his own poor choices? And the answer was a resounding, I'm going to try. So, we got him some glasses, took him to the Social Security office. The only reason he was able to get his Social Security card was because he had gotten his glasses, which got to put all that together. So, we have his Social Security card, his birth certificate, a new pair of glasses. We're going to get him an ID so he can try to get a job offshore. And all the while, whether or not you realize it, you have been with me. You see, I got to the point where I could not financially afford to help him anymore, and I began to ask the leaders, can we help him? And we began doing things for him, like helping him get a pair of glasses. So, anybody that's in here that's ever given a dollar to the ministry of Neartown Church has participated in this. I have learned a lot about being with him. Um, along the way, I've included, I've included my own family. In fact, um, One day I came home and I said, Jeannie, thank you for giving David your bike. And she said, I gave David my bike? (laughs) And I said, yes, earlier today. I said, you know, there's that story in the Bible. If you have two coats and a man only has has none, give him one. And she's like, well, I've only got one bike. (laughs) Two days ago, that bike was stolen. And this morning when I got up, I knew that David was hungry. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down, get him some food. I went to Fiesta, got him a food gift card. And I'm going to find this bike. I mean, I was mad. I'm like, this is my wife's bike that I've given. And so sure enough, I see the bike under the overpass. I call up David. I said, David, come on. We're going to go get this bike. He said, what? No, you know, I was going, oh, take care of my own business, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, so long story short, we got the bike. Yeah. (laughs) And I've not been stabbed. It was interesting, though, because this thought did cross my mind. If something goes down, I need to know who I'm going to call to preach for me. (laughs) You know, if I'm like shanked, like bleeding out under the freeway. So... God has put me very real time in this situation for helping this guy, and it's not over yet. Am I gonna be able to buy him burger for the rest of his life? Absolutely not. Am I gonna be able to cart him around during the week? Absolutely not. But what I am going to do, if God will allow me and us, is to continue to try to set him on the course where he can, he can get out of this impoverished state, find a job, and begin to live a different kind of a life. So maybe that will help you see into my heart about how I think about our church being involved in helping the poor. But there are reasons that we tend to fail to love the poor like we could. And this isn't to beat anybody up. I mean, I know many of you are doing things to help the poor. And I'm sure some of you are way more knowledgeable than I am on how to even think about this. I will admit that. So, so let me suggest to you, just for conversation's sake... What I think are the reasons that we fail to love the poor like we could. First one is this. We are rushed. We live rushed, overcommitted lives. We do. We make choices to fill up our schedules and to spend our money in a way that does not allow us to have extra of either of it. But do you know that God's heart is for the poor? Psalm chapter 82, verses 3 and 4. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is God's heart, and so we ought to prioritize it. Another reason I think we fail to love the poor like we could is because the need is so overwhelming. I've heard that there are somewhere between eight and 10,000 homeless people in our city. And by the way, when I think of poverty, I'm not only thinking about people that don't have a home to live in. I'm thinking about people that cannot provide for themselves what they need just to live. So I'm thinking about the... Many of the 630 children that attend this school every single week that have great needs and live, many of them, in an impoverished state. 20% of the kids that attend this school are considered homeless. They live in the Salvation Army temporarily or other some kind of temporary housing. 50% of them live on the projects over off Allen Parkway. And I don't see any of these people as different I think, though, there are some of us who are in a position where we could be more mindful of those poor people around us and find ways to help them. But the need is so overwhelming. I don't know about you, but I'm always having people ask me for money for things. You go to the grocery store. You get your groceries. They want to know if you want a dollar to help somebody along the way. And I'm at the point, I know I sound like a real Scrooge, where I'll say, no, <laughs> I don't want to. I give my money to my church because I believe my church cares very much about helping the poor in a way that actually helps them. There is an overwhelming need. And so maybe you um, are overwhelmed by the need. Well, something that you should know is that God is working in the world to meet the needs of all people. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse seven. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God has given you, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward the poor, toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. What an incredible passage of Scripture. It's really very different than how we think oftentimes about helping the poor. Another reason I think sometimes that we fail to love the poor like we could is a wrong motivation, And this is probably, of all of them, the main reason why I think we fail to love the poor. Many of you have. You have helped. You've given. But what happens is you get disappointed. And something I want you to understand is that if loving the poor is about you, you will be regularly disappointed. I found out this week David was lying to me. He was at church last week. I introduced him to you, by the way. I found out that he was lying to me. And the reason I found out is because I'd asked him uh, if he'd done drugs, and he said no. So I went to HEB, and I got a drug test, and I said, pee in this cup. That's right. This week, I held another man's pee. And uh, sure enough, he was lying. But see, I wasn't all that disappointed. Why? Because I had realistic expectations changes the way in which I'm now going to help him and I have to set some new boundaries. But my reason for helping him wasn't ultimately about me. Every time I have done something for David, he said, I owe you. And I say this, you owe me nothing. The reason I'm kind in giving to you is because God has rescued me from my impoverished spiritual state. This is it. This is why we help the poor. Not so that we get something out of it, although you might. We help poor people or people that have needs that they cannot meet on their own. We help them meet those needs as a response to what God has done for us. We may not share their physical state, but we do share or have shared their spiritual state of poverty before a holy God. I say, I give this to you because God has given to me new life in Christ, period. I don't need anything from you. I don't need anything else. We love the poor because Christ first loved us. I've mentioned the ways or the reasons I think that we tend to neglect loving the poor like we could. You say, well, okay, Russell, tell me, how can I love the poor very practically. Well, here's what I want you to know. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. You hear that? No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. You are not going to be able to help every poor person in this city or every poor person in whatever city you live in, but you can take notice. You can take notice of the needs and the lives of the people around you. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow when you now have it with you. Everybody can do something. There are a few ways that I want to encourage you to take practical steps to get involved in helping the poor. And the first one actually is involving you in the poor on the other side of the world. Our church is deeply involved with an organization called Compassion International. In fact, many of the families of our church sponsor children through Compassion International. The mission statement of Compassion International is this, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. There's no family in this church that has 100 kids sponsored, but nearly every family in this church has one. Again, we can't do everything. No one can do everything, but everybody can do something. That's a way you can get involved. And you say, well, how do I do that? Go to CompassionInternational.org, sign up, sponsor a kid from whatever country you want. Many of our children are living in Ecuador, and one reason we chose Ecuador is because we have like to take trips where we send people down there so you can get knee-to-knee with these kids that you're sponsoring, which is pretty cool. Compassion International. Jeannie and I have been involved with Compassion International for 15 years, and we've seen a child go from being 5 years old to 20 years old, and it's been, it's been fantastic. So Compassion International is a way you can get involved in helping the poor. Another way that you can get involved in helping the poor is help us as a church help the poor. There are several ways that you can do that. One, you can uh, get involved on the team of people that processes the needs for benevolence that come to our church on a weekly basis. In fact, we need somebody to lead up this team. Because right now what happens if somebody comes into our church, they have a financial need, what typically happens is I deal with it. What we want is a more robust, more developed team of people who can sit down with these people, need, need find their immediate needs, be it a grocery gift card or maybe paying for a utility bill, and then begin to talk to them and help them get connected with resources in our city so that they can be on a course towards success and self-reliance. And of course, that includes participating financially. I estimate that in the next 12 months, we're going to need somewhere between Uh, five and six thousand dollars in our what we call restore local part of our strategy which is the money that goes out of here um to to help people that's that's a month by the way five to six thousand dollars a month and right now what's being given is somewhere around half of that so we're asking for you to be faithful with your tithes and offerings so that we can do the ministry that god has put in our midst so we can take notice and have an opportunity to respond We also ought to be the kind of people who who, um, are mindful of the needs of those around us every day. Now, I will say this. Giving a dollar to someone that's begging at the lie is a terrible idea. What happens oftentimes in those situations is that person uses that money to, to do something that's not helpful or healthy to them. So if they're hungry, go to McDonald's, buy them a meal, and give it to them. Something that we did for a little bit as a family is we're just trying to teach our kids about how we can help the poor, you know, because you live down here and you see people all the time begging. We want to take notice of those people. I want to teach my kids how to take notice. I don't want them to grow up getting used to ignoring them. I mean, to me, that would be very tragic. So what we've done for uh, over, the, over the years and on different occasions is we will pack some little um, Ziploc bags with some tuna and some crackers and the ice cold beer, maybe? So, I'm just kidding. Um, and, um, and, you know, a bottle of water and, um, um, and, we'll, and we'll put that, and we'll have like eight or 10 of those little bags and if we pull up to a light and there's somebody asking, we'll hand it to them. I mean, that's like a dollar a piece. There are ways that you can get involved and so if you're used to ignoring the poverty around you, then I would say there's a deeper issue and there's maybe even possibly an issue of your heart. You see, because I think what's happened to me in the last three weeks is God has done an overhaul in my heart. And some of the reason that I felt so resistant to helping this person, although I knew God was calling me to, is because I've been burned so many times. But my attitude has changed. You see, I believe if in our hearts we resist a kind of message that says that we ought to be helping the poor, then maybe the first place we ought to go is to consider how impoverished we were or are apart from Jesus Christ. I don't want to give you a bunch of statistics about all the poor people in our city or the poor people in our world. I want to do that because I don't want you to be motivated out of that. What I want you to be motivated out of is this. God loves you so much that when you were dead, not just poor, not just unable to take care of yourself spiritually, dead spiritually, God made a way through Jesus Christ for your sin to be erased and for you to be given new life. This is the motivation for helping the poor and loving the poor. I pray that we would be the kind of people that would really, really love the poor well. Are we going to do it perfectly every time? No. Have I handled this situation with David perfectly? No. Am I going to be lied to again? Probably. But what I do know is this, God has a heart for the poor, so let's get about it. If you're new to this church and you're like, okay, what's this church about? I want you to know we're the kind of church that cares for people. We want to love people really, really well. And we don't want to just love them by giving them things or by being about, you know, getting justice where there's injustice, although that's impossible. So we're not just about social justice. We're about the gospel. We're about the message that God is holy and we are not. And through Jesus Christ, there is a way for the sin that separates us from God to be erased. That's what we're about. And in response to that, we love. In response to that, we act. That is who we are as a church. I would love for you to be a part of it. Let's pray together.